brought to you by Flying U Rodeo, providing quality family entertainment for more than 60 years. Whitey Gleason and Jay Mars. We were just talking on the YouTube chat there about uh, the Dallas Mavericks who decided last year, hey, JaVale McGee's our guy. And then I think he started, what, six games? And they decided, no, JaVale he's McGee's not our, not our guy. Yeah, and so now I he's a member. Idea. I got an idea. <laughs> he's a member of the Sacramento Kings. But which JaVale are the Kings getting? The one that Dallas decided couldn't do it? Or the guy who the year before in Phoenix had a had a magnificent season? The guy who won three rings or the guy who was shacked in a fool? Which JaVale McGee are the Kings getting? I, if I'm a betting man, which I'm not, 1-800-GAMBLER, I would bet the Kings get something in between Phoenix uh, JaVale and Dallas JaVale, mm-hmm. which is obviously goes to show that he has something left in the tank. But I, and I was telling you this in the YouTube um, audience as well, I, I'm, I, I really went back and forth on, all right, is JaVale done? Was the Dallas situation an indication that, you know, he just doesn't have it in the tank anymore after weirdly having it in the tank the year before? Or is this another weird Mavericks issue? I don't feel Jason Kidd is a great head coach, and you brought this up to me, and I tend to agree with you. I feel like Dallas does whatever it is that's going to make Luka Doncic happy, and I think that's a recipe for disaster personally, and I think JaVale... And you brought up another name, too. Christian Wood was a guy who, by the way, is not signed yet, correct? Right. And I think up, we know why, though, now, finally. Yes, but they brought him in, and you would have thought, okay, here's a stretch five. That's a guy that can, you know, open up some floor space for Luka. And they decided, ah, you know what, Christian Wood, not, not it either. The weird thing about Christian Wood, if you check, is he put up numbers there. Yes. And they still decided, hmm. Well, the only thing with Christian Wood, and you know who actually put Christian Wood, but I wouldn't. That was really well done. That that's that's a little stuff from you today. Okay. Yeah, I Thank wasn't I wasn't a fan of the fried pig reference, but that was much better. Good rebound. All right. The thing with Christian Wood, Jason Ross brought this up to me. He's like, you know, watching the Kings play the Mavericks, watching Christian Wood play. He's a good player. But the minute Christian Wood touches the ball, the ball does not go anywhere Absolutely. else. So when you factor that in with Luka Doncic, who wants the ball all the time, I can see why that was Absolutely. a clash. Absolutely. It's possible that no one in the history of the game has ever, ever been as good as Christian Wood thinks Christian Wood is. Christian Wood is a big, big fan of and Christian he, and Wood. And he is a skilled player. He's a good player. But he's not as good as he thinks he is. No, he is a, to me, he is a very good role player. That if he understood his role and understood his role is not to be an all-star, I think would be a easily a very good contributing player on a, on a top-level playoff team. And it looks like that's why he's still... I know there was talk of the Lakers signing him, but he's still unemployed, right? Yeah, and, and you would think like, a guy he's that... a talented guy, but mm-hmm. he is not interested in helping our team the way well, we want him to help our team. And so. look at where he's put up all his numbers. Detroit, LOL. Houston, by the time Houston, he was there, yeah. LOL. And then Dallas, Briefly. LOL. <laughs> so JaVale McGee coming to the Kings, he's won three rings. I know that's one of those things that, especially in the old days when the Kings would bring in, when the Kings were really struggling you know, the 880s, early 90s, and they'd bring in somebody, maybe a coach or a GM, who said, this guy has won, and ooh, he's won. Dick Mata. And it didn't always matter. <laughs> so how much does it matter, in your opinion, uh, that JaVale McGee has won three rings? It matters because of, and I think when you bring in guys, right, and, and you look at the whole ring situation, for instance, the, 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 veter- thing. the veteran guys, so to speak. I think the ring thing matters when you're a playoff team. 
Like, if we knew the Kings were winning 25 to 30 games this year and they brought in JaVale McGee and the reason why they're selling this is, ah, man, this is a guy that's won three rings. He knows about good culture. We've seen in the past that doesn't matter, to your point, right? Like, at the end of the day, talent matters. But I do think it matters to have a guy who's done it the way JaVale McGee has, where he was a contributor you know, in the, the recent past, so to speak, this, he didn't win rings 12 years ago. This is he, – he last won a ring three years ago. Right. And Although when, he didn't play in the finals that year. He didn't, but you look at two years prior to that, he had won rings in Golden State. Yes, yes. You know, and again, and that team is still very much – that core is together. That's still very much on people's minds. Still? Yeah. I, I think when you look at the Warriors, you're still looking at a team. I mean, we look at them as a team that's still contending based upon the past. I think it does matter. I think having that extra guy in the locker room, by the way, and if he plays, you just, when you bring that credibility, guys listen to you. And I think he brings credibility into the locker room. And I think that matters. I think it matters not so much because he's won rings, but because he's won rings with Mike Brown. Yes. That, to me, is where it matters. It's almost a reinforcement of what Mike Brown's doing is, okay, if any time, and, you know, there was no really hint of this last year, but if there's a point where... Ah, the team might be questioning something. Having a guy that's one with him, especially on the defensive side, right? Because that's what Mike was known for in Golden State. Mm-hmm. To reinforce, yeah, I agree with you. I think that does kind of get the attention of the locker room, so to speak. Yeah, and he knows what to do. Again, the question is physically, uh, with another year added on, can he still do it? But he knows what to do. And also, the other thing is, we all know, um, he addresses a real need for this team. Again, if he's close to being... The JaVale McGee of old, they're so bad defensively yeah. that if he can defend anywhere close to what he was, he makes them better defensively. Right. And, and they need that. If they're going to try to be better this year, you know it, J-Mars. I've been yes. sitting here all year going, wow, that's a good move. That's a good move. But how does it help him defensively? Vizankov, man, he looks like a good player, but he doesn't help you defensively. Where are the moves that help you defensively? And here potentially is one. Yay. Yes. No, and it's... I expect him to get better defensively just because they have another year with the same system. I was on with um, with uh, Kyle Draper, and he got Matt Barnes on, and I asked Matt Barnes that, and he said, yeah, that's a thing, I, just by virtue of having played the system another year. Right, because the thing about it, and I've always said this, I think defense is a lot harder to get down than offense because offense for 82 games, you're essentially running the same thing every single night, no matter who you're playing. And you saw that with the Kings. Like, their offense, they don't change their offense based upon matchups. Defense is hard to get down because, A, you're trying to get a system down, but you're looking at a different look yeah. every single night. And so I think... and you it You have to change it. You defense. have to change it. And that goes back to the continuity thing. The more time you get together, the more time you see the same thing on the court together, I think defense on a team standpoint improves dramatically because of that. So... Now add in a guy who knows how to play defense and does know the scheme already, which is a big deal. I expect them to take a leap defensively. Do I think they'll be a top 10 defense? No. But tell me this. If I think they, one of my bold predictions was they'd be top 20 this year. Okay. <laughs> but let's go, let's go bolder, okay. shall we? Let's get real bold. If this team is around 15 to 17, kind of middle of the road, but keeps their same offensive efficiency... Like, that's a 50-plus win team, in my opinion. Well, do you know who was 15th in the NBA in defensive rating last year? I do not. The Denver Nuggets. Oh. They did pretty good. They did, didn't they win that championship <laughs> they thing? They won. Yeah. yeah. The big hunk of metal at the that's end. That's what gave I'm it saying. If you have an elite offense and just a middle, like, legit middle-of-the-road defense, 
Like that that's the recipe to success in the NBA in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're right and I think it's uh more true than ever uh because everybody's playing better and better offense. I also think this is one of the keys to the Kings that a lot of people don't really want to talk about and it's not a criticism but I think it's a fact we can't really ignore. The Kings two best players are Fox and Sabonis, right? Yes. Do you agree? Okay, Fox has the ability to be a really good defender. Yes. He's not yet, but he can be, and I think he's improving. We've seen it, right? We've yeah. seen it happen. Yeah, and Sabonis is a very, very willing defender and plays hard, but he's very limited, and he's probably never going to be a very good defender. And it's not because he doesn't try to be. He just doesn't have the physical ability to be an excellent defender. But if he's an average defender... Is that like kind of where you kind of want Sabonis to be, like an that would average be great, defender? I think. And again, it's not. You know, we always say, "Well, defense is just play, trying hard," and it's clearly not at no. that level because you got a guy like Sabonis. <laughs> I nobody works harder, but he's still not a great defender, right? And I and I'd like to. I wish we had a guy like Doug in here right now. I, I've always thought the idea that we uh, have de- his golf clubs. We do have his golf clubs. His putter, which I'm not good and with. And his chipper, by the way. I think. Yeah, it is his chipper. His yes. Jones. Yeah. Um, I think the idea that the defense, game of Golf. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Harsh. That was needed. Yeah. Um, I think the idea that defense is just working hard is probably the stupidest thing in the world. Like, it's a lot more than just effort. Like, oh, defense is just effort. No. You, it's a huge part of it. It's a huge but, part of it. But the idea that that's it, that there's no other involvement, like, you know, there's not a really good offensive team that you're defending that night. Well, if you just throw some effort out there, it'll thwart them. People say that about rebounding, too. And I remember I asked uh, Harold Presley once, like, what do you need? What does every team need, you know, to be a better rebounding team? And he said, every team needs one guy, at least one guy. Like, that's what he does. Yeah. And he's going after everything. Yes. So there is some truth to the importance of giving that focus and effort. But defensively, (laughs) no, at the NBA level, it takes more than just the will. You've got to have the physical ability. Otherwise, I'd be a (laughs) top-level NBA defender. Same. Dude, if I just go out there and try hard, I would have been in the NBA 15 years ago. Uh, Going back to De'Aaron, though, on the defensive end, I thought what um, an an understated part of fourth quarter Fox last year as we just looked at the clutch points was that's when he really locked out on the other guy defensively. Do you think it would be how big of a leap is it if he starts that level of defense, though, but for an entire half? Not a full game, but just for a half. What does that do for this team? I don't know. It's funny you mention that because I was starting to wonder about that one game last year. Maybe it's November or so. And, you know, he had that thing where just fourth quarter just took off and it's yep. like they cannot stop him. And I was wondering, why doesn't he just do that the whole game? And Mike Brown, not long after that, was just talking about that to the media and said, now we want him to evolve and become one of those guys who does that the whole game. Um, And I think he's obviously making strides towards that. Another one of my bold predictions is he's going to average a 30 a game this year. Yeah, I like that one. But I think it's just physically, you know, and the starters played a lot of minutes. Yeah. It's just hard to do that the whole time. It's just, and it's not just one I don't want to. It's just physically difficult to maintain that level that long. For 40 minutes for 82 games. You're not even looking at playoffs. No, it's, it's extremely difficult. We've seen... LeBron James, when he turns it on, is one of the best defenders in the NBA. But how many times have we seen LeBron James, especially during the regular season, like, he don't hit that button for 48 minutes. Like, he picks and chooses his spot, especially because you got guys that are defensive specialists, and I think the reason they can do that is because you don't expect anything from them on offense. With Fox, you're literally the, arguably the best offensive player on the team. 
to try to maintain being the best offensive player on the team and a top-level defender for 40-plus minutes a night, it, to your point, it's extremely difficult. Yeah. You know, it comes to mind as you're describing the great two-way player is, uh, well, Clay used to be, but Drew Holiday. Oh, yes. Drew. But he's, I think, bigger and stronger right. than De'Aaron well, And Fox. that matters, too. You know, and another guy who I always thought was a great two-way player, but I also think it took a toll on them is Paul George. Kawhi Leonard, another great two-way player. But these are also guys that have suffered injuries in the past in, I don't know, does that play into that? Is that why we load manage them? Because we expect them to basically give 100% on both sides of the court for 40-plus minutes? Mm -hmm. A lot of questions that go into that. So as far as the three rings go, it's a great thing as long as JaVale McGee is still able physically to do the type of things he did for Mike Brown in Golden State. Right. and It's not like people are going, ooh, three rings, woo, no. but But if you go back to, and again, if you get – somewhere between half of what he was then and half of last year. And you get that guy. That guy's still a contributor on the team, I think right? so. I do, yeah. too. Yeah. I think he's going to play a lot of games and, you know, like 15 minutes a game, maybe 14 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, that's all you need, though. Yeah, and I've been thinking Nerlens Noel could be that guy. And now I think, well, it's probably going to be McGee. They're not, obviously not both. I don't think well, they're both going to get a shot. Which is interesting because they still have one uh, roster spot available and you have Noel and Kata both on partially guarantees. And you don't have a third point guard yet. I think yeah, I think that 15th roster spot will go to a third point guard. Jordan Ford. <coughs> Excuse me. I think Jordan Ford is an excellent, excellent choice for obvious reasons there. But I don't, I really just, from a numbers game, I don't see Noel or Kata making the team this no, year. No, I don't think so. But they'll have their chance. Obviously. Yeah, no, they, they, again, they got to come back that. and play. But yeah, I don't know. I do I see if JaVale comes out and he's like, you know, I just don't have any more. Then I think the door opens for probably for sure. Noel. Uh, by the way, we're brought to you by Flying U Rodeo, providing quality family entertainment for over 60 years. So that was nice to see a potentially promising piece fall into the King's lap this late in the offseason. No, I actually thought that was a really good late offseason signing. Do you have any bold Kings predictions? Because you don't have to. You're not obligated. I have so many bold Kings predictions. <laughs> okay. uh, we have our bold Kings predictions of the day, and we have more bad, bad bold predictions from the Kings past that we will share with you. Oh. Uh, it's coming up here. Whitey and Watkins with J-Mars in for Watkins today on Sackdown Sports. Download the Sacktown Sports app and listen to Whitey and Watkins on your smartphone. I've got a crystal ball. Yeah. It's full of King's Bowl predictions, and I'll make them all season long. Off the top of the dome. Hopefully that wasn't on the air at all. Oh, I think it might have accidentally been. <laughs> Sorry I stepped on the uh, intro there, as I, but fine. i got to get in. I like Edgar Renneria. <laughs> That's what I, every time I hear that song. Edgar Renneria. Edgar Renneria. It's the second Edgar Renneria <laughs> reference, by the way, I've heard in the last week. Huh. I forgot the Dude, first Your references one. are out of control. Everyone knows that. Seriously. Edgar Renneria references more than once a year. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. What was the first? I think it was FPJ and mentioned something oh, about okay. Renneria. But she's a diehard Giants fan. Yes, so he makes is. Sense. This is a uh, quick story. Um, he played for the Cardinals, correct? Yes. And then he went to the Red Sox. So he played uh, for a lot of teams. So my family, they lived at St. Louis at the time. My aunt and uncle, and we went to the Red Sox Cardinals game. And my aunt made a, she said like, "Hey, Cardinals fans are such great fans. When you see Edgar Renteria come up, even though he was on the Cardinals last year, they're going to give him a standing ovation because he's a former Cardinal." 
So I'm like, oh, okay. And we get there. It's like, now batting Edgar Renteria. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, I've never oh. seen this before. <laughs> that is that is beneath us Cardinal fans. Um, you God, are, Edgar Renteria, two, three-time All-Star with the Cardinals. I'm sure you saw this. You guys probably talked about it on the morning show. Uh, when uh, Trey Turner got a uh, standing ovation from Phillies fans. Yes. Just to show, oh, we support you, even though he's been terrible and he's been hitting, I think, 370 since then, Mauser said today. That's great, but that's it. Philly fans don't do that. No, it was really weird. It was like, did they all get together, every single one of them, get drunk and be like, let's try this? That's <laughs> no. great. Yeah, usually they would, um, you know, just make death threats. Or yeah. tell him hey, his kid's ugly or yeah. something. Hey, we're, so, we're behind you. He had to feel like, what, am I getting punked? Right. Where are they? No, <laughs> yeah, where are the hidden cameras? Yeah. Oh, they're in the Astros uh, dugout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're using them for something else, but yeah, we've got them I, over here. I think it's the equivalent of when you're in high school and you pick the quiet kid as a prom king as like a joke. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, for sure. By the way, Verlaud, did you see the um, billboards that they had at the Oakland Coliseum? I did. Fantastic. Or, yeah. You guys haven't seen those are uh, those same billboards are running in Cal Expo right now. Yes. Oh. Yeah. yeah. They okay. have they have bought advertising in Sacramento. If you go on uh, Business Eighty past Cal Expo, those Ace billboards are awesome. up now. Yeah. And what is Cavill's mom's name? I think it's Fisher's mom. No, oh, I think it, they say Doris. I think it's Doris. Yeah, yeah, Doris is the name, but that's Fisher's mom's name, correct? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was Cavill. No, no, oh, it's, yeah. it's Fisher's mom's name. Doris, get your kid? Yeah. Wow. Man. That's good. No, I liked it a that's lot. That's good, Billboard. We're all really part of the same it. miracle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that brings us to Bold King's predictions. Would you like to go first, or would you like me to go first? I'd like you I, to go you're first. You're not even obligated to have any. Oh, I'll have some. Okay. Um, last season... I don't know how, follow, uh, how closely you follow this, Jay Mars, but last season, Demonis Sabonis led the NBA in rebounding with 12.3 a game. That's pretty good. No one else on the Kings averaged as many as five rebounds a game. Sounds about right. <laughs> Keegan was at 4.6 per game, Barnes at 4.5. In 2023-24, Sabonis will again lead the team. That's hardly a bold prediction. Here's the bold prediction. Keegan, Vazenkov, and JaVale McGee will all average five or more rebounds per game. The Kings will have four players averaging at least five rebounds per game this year. Dare I say, I agree. Really? I do. I actually think Vizankov coming in, Vizankov, we've obviously talked about his offensive game. Vizankov was a really good rebounder at the Euro level. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're going to expect part of Keegan's jump to be getting on the boards. And then who was the other one you said? Uh, JaVale Malgate. Yeah, just by coincidence, he'll grab five boards a game. Last year, I, I don't know how many teams had f four players with averaging five or more rebounds a game. I know uh, Memphis did, and I think Milwaukee did. Um, I'm not sure how many other teams. So it's it's not that rare, but it's uh, it's not common either. I have a bold prediction bold for prediction you, Whitey Gleason. Okay. In his rookie year, Davion Mitchell shot 31% from three. That's a fact. That's not a prediction. You're in, just reading stats from last year. In his second it's actually year. actually a fact. Yeah, thank you. He shot 32% from three. Okay. Bold prediction time in year three. Davion Mitchell will reclaim his three-point glory from his final year at Baylor and shoot 40% or more from three this wow. season. I That is very bold because I made a similar prediction on his three-point shooting, but I, it wasn't that bold. What was it? 
That it go under thirty? You said that it would be thirty five percent. Ah, and I no. thought that was a bold prediction. I think and it was he... so bold that we've got uh, Watkins was uh, saying that. What are you just? You're obsessed with Davion Mitchell. Uh, well, so... I don't know. I was going to feel about me saying forty percent or higher, but yeah, three point Davion. Why do you say that? Because if you watch it, I think he's been really working on that part of his game in the offseason. I think the I think the playoffs were such a huge wake-up call for him where in you know those final couple games, he was really struggling to find minutes because he could not put the ball in the basket. And the reason why I think he can get to 40% is he was a really good shooter his final year at Baylor because his first couple years at Baylor, he he couldn't shoot, but he developed into a 40% three-point shooter. And Davion's the type of guy that I'm sure took that, you know, to heart last year, not getting those minutes in the playoffs because of his offense. I think you're going to see a big burst through. I, I We've talked a lot about the Keegan Murray jump this year. Be on the lookout for the Davion Mitchell jump this year because if they get a dump jump from Davion Mitchell, boy, does that change things a lot for this team. The Davion Mitchell jump and the Davion Mitchell jumper. Yes. I'll never forget game one of the playoff series last year uh, against the Warriors, and both teams were struggling. The Kings were especially struggling offensively. Davion came in in his first jumper. like He nailed a three. Mm -hmm. I remember looking at that going, I don't know why he can't do that more often. He has nice feathery touch, nice high arch. He's square. He's got the components of a really good shot. He should be a better shooter. And I think his, his, I don't know if you have the numbers there, his free throw shooting was really good last year. Yeah, he was 80% from the line. And that's a really good indication. And by the way, that's a jump from 65% the year before. He jumped 15% at the line. Yeah, but you don't, if you're going to shoot 80 something percent, that means you're a good shooter. Right. So, and then also you've got the fact that he's worked with Steph Curry's shooting coach and he wants to play more. And he knows, he said it on with Deuce and Mo. He said, if I'm going to, play more I gotta I gotta shoot better so I can stay on the floor so he's highly motivated to do that so I think you're exactly right and it's weird he did shoot better last year now he shot almost half the attempts he'd shot the year before but he jumped from 41 to 45 percent field goal and if he gets the 40 percent three I think he'll be you know closer to 50 percent shooting from the field and we always say if you can go 50 from the field 40 from three and 90 from the line but well let's say he stays at 80 Ooh. Yeah, but especially, Ooh. you're right, but as well as he defends, if you can shoot yeah. the three ball at 40%, the way you guard, you're going to get D. a lot of minutes. Yeah, no, if you can be the, that 3 and D guy off the bench for the Kings, and the what's nice about that is the more minutes he gets, that means the more you get to rest De'Aaron Fox's legs. And kind of going back to what we were talking about the segment before, now you might be able to see De'Aaron play both sides of the ball a little bit longer because his backup is letting him rest a lot longer on the bench. It's possible that we get regression. I think, you know, the math people would say, yeah, you think this team's going to be better, but this guy's going to regress and there's just regressions going to happen. But if it doesn't, this team's going to be so much more deep than they were last year. Right. And I mean, the roster is, I mean, just on paper deeper when you add guys like McGee, Duarte, Vazankov. Yeah. But it's like, like you said, if we get Davion playing at that level and you got like 10 or 11 guys that you can rotate in at any given moment, I I know the math guys are looking at regression, but I don't think the math guys are accounting for growth with certain players, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you remember last year who was starting Casey Okpala. Yeah. The starting. Yeah. That Mike was trying to find some things. Weird gimmick still to mm-hmm. me. The whole Casey Paula experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot. Very. Uh, do you remember when the Kings started one year? I think it was the uh, it was the 9 10 season. 
that first game they started Sean May and Desmond Mason. Like, what are we doing? Like, why? And then it's like they never played again after that. I feel like KZ Paula was a weird little parallel to those old days. I thought Desmond Mason was going to be really good, and he was pretty good for a while, wasn't he? Yeah, great uh, dunker. Yeah, coming up next, as promised, we'll look at some uh, – these are always fun, right? Some bad bowl predictions from the Kings past. Uh-oh. Yeah, next here, Whitey and Watkins, Jay Mars today, Sacktown Sports. We've got NFL football this week. Two days this away. Week? I mean, real, not the preseason. Real football. Jay Mars. Thursday nights. The world champion Kansas City Chiefs, who might be without Travis Kelsey, going up against the Lions. I think that's a fun matchup. Golf. Golf. Company. That's a, it's all golf. <laughs> yeah. A great quarterback. The elite quarterback exactly. that is Jared Goff. Thank you, Chris Watkins. I mean, listen, give the guy credit. He looked really good last year. Yes. That's all I got. They looked really good. Uh, did they look really good or did they just look really better? They finished strong. They did. Very strong. Do you think they're an actual playoff contender this year? Yeah. Playoff contender? Oh, yeah. Okay. You, you've bought into the Dan Campbell thing, the eating people's ankles and stuff? To me, it's more in spite of that. <laughs> oh, you haven't bought into Dan Campbell. Interesting, because I feel like everybody, granted, they've gotten better talent in Detroit, too, over the last year or so, but I feel like everybody's bought into this this Dan Campbell. Ah! Mentality. It seems like that. Well, the team's playing hard for him, so I think maybe some of that's overstated and overblown. But I think the players relate to him; they trust him. So, right. playing, you know, that's important. And isn't that as a head coach at this point, like it's not so much about the X's and O's anymore? It's about I have a philosophy. Do you guys buy in, and do we have a relationship? Because um, you know, a lot of it back in the day was you, you didn't speak with your head coach in the off season. You didn't have a dialogue with head coach. It was see you when training camp starts and see you when training camp starts. But now it's like coaches, head coaches, managers in baseball. It's a 12-month job where you're you're almost a psychologist now for the players. And I feel like Campbell has gotten that trust, kind of what you're alluding to with the Lions players. I think probably one of the biggest changes in the last, what, 20 years, whatever, managing, coaching, is that there are times when the player gets to do what he wants to do. I mean, if he's that big of a star. Like certain pitchers in certain situations, um, they're not. You can't take them out of the game if, if they don't want to come out, right? And no. Certain guys, you sign them that he's going to play that position. Well, no, he's better at the other position. Yeah, but we couldn't assign him if we didn't kind of, you know, let right. him know he's going to get to play that position. Make it work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah make it work. Depending on who the coach is and who the player is. Uh, by the way, Peter King, we mentioned him earlier. He said. <laughs> He says the 49ers are going to finish with the best record in the NFC, but then lose to the Cowboys in the divisional round. Here's a, his uh, NFC playoff teams. You just asked me if I have the Lions mm-hmm. as a playoff team. So he's got the 49ers then in order. Eagles, Lions, Falcons, Cowboys, Seahawks, and Packers. Falcons winning a pretty crappy division there. Lions getting the three seed, though, meaning they will win that division. I... It's such a weird division to predict because we don't know what the Jordan Love situation is going to look like, right? Like, that that's that's a coin flip. I think Minnesota regresses. I think there was a lot more luck than uh, actual on-field goodness for them last year. Fraud! And Fraud squad. Are you, are you bought in on the Justin Fields hype? A lot a of bit. hype about Justin Fields that this is going to be the year he breaks through. Um, I just think he's always going to have... Some question marks as an NFL caliber passer. 
Yeah, no, and I agree. But, I mean, you could certainly do a lot worse than him as your quarterback. Oh, for sure. I, I'm just not bought in on the hype of him being like this dark horse MVP candidate in year three. Yeah, I kind of buy the Lions as the best team in that division right now. Mm-hmm. Right now. And then whoever, and I really can't, I can't land on a number two. I, I of the. I mean, I guess the Vikings just by default, but yeah, I, I don't feel, I don't feel good about that. Justin Jefferson is up. He's all I, world. He's so good, and it's, I, I don't believe this, but in my heart I want to believe that he's good enough for that team to finish second in the division. Just because he's, Kirk – and Kirk yeah. Cousins is just good enough to get him the ball, right? Yeah, I mean, there was that play, that catch in the Buffalo game where it almost literally was, I'm going to throw it in your area, okay, and you catch it. It was one of the greatest catches. Yeah, it was amazing. It could have been the greatest catch ever. Yeah. I think, and that's he's capable of doing that. Yeah, no, again, he's just such a— And I bought into them, Jay. You know, you were talking about how they were frauds. That game, I thought, man, to win that game with everything it's... they went through in Buffalo, I think they're for real. They were not. You know what's funny about that? You say you bought in, because I kind of bought in, too, because I'm like, okay, they're doing it enough, right? Like, this isn't just two, three-game fluky things. Like, they keep winning these close games. Like, y- you don't do that if you suck. And you know who was, like, the one just, like, completely wet-blanketing them the entire season? And I'm looking at him like, dude, you're just a negative fan. Mr. Watkins. Oh, yeah. Guess who was right? Uh-huh. Mr. Watkins. <laughs> uh, we were talking about King's predictions. Uh, I just wanted to share this. This is interesting because I saw this yesterday online as I was looking for uh, information here to share in our King's Bowl predictions. And it ran across these predictions from September of 2016. And this was, I think, CBS... Dot com. Oh, I thought these were your bold predictions. No, <laughs> I wouldn't be sure those were if they, if they were wrong. What's interesting is uh, there's no byline. No, I don't know who wrote these. <laughs> Whoever wrote them and I found out by design and deleted the byline, yeah. right? So just real quick, what do you think of these? Number five. So this is for the 2016-17 Kings. Isaiah Cousins starts 30 or more games. Ooh. Wait, did they think that DeMarcus changed his name to Isaiah? That's what I was wondering. Wait, are we talking about two different players? I think Isaiah no. Cousins ever played a game. And he said, uh, whoever wrote it says, let's be honest, this prediction isn't that bold. Really? Okay. Really? Uh, number four, Ben McLemore nearly makes the all-star team. <sighs> well, he was in all-star <laughs> Saturday that year in the dunk contest. Does that count? Number three, the Kings will make the playoffs with the seventh seed. Uh, number two, the Kings trade for cup holders at the trade deadline. <laughs> and Dave Yeager, number one, Dave Yeager wins coach of the year. So, again, I don't know who wrote that. Those are bold, but it's just, again, as a reminder of how much better things are for Kings fans right now than they've been at any point since also, you know, the early 2000s. Also a reminder, don't intoxicate yourself before <laughs> putting out an article. Like, I mean, listen, I'm like any other person, you know, especially during that time, you really try to talk yourself into positives, right? And I and I wanted to make sure. Isaiah Cousins has never played an NBA game, okay? <laughs> they had him starting 30 games. He's never appeared. <laughs> and then said, oh, that's not really a The Kings waved him before the season started. <laughs> that's not really a bold prediction. No, I don't know what kind of prediction you call that. But yeah, that that's fascinating. <laughs> Again, like I said, there's no byline. I don't know who wrote it. Again, I think the person probably five games into the season went in and deleted the byline. Yeah, had that probably scrub. tried. Yeah, <laughs> wow. That's the year, and that's the year they traded Cousins at the deadline. By the way, huh. that's the first year of Golden One Center. 
That's uh almost looks like it, somebody at the radio station could have written it, then they picked it up on the CBS. That might have been a thing. Uh, the local thing. I okay. Don't know. Okay. We all know who wrote it, right? <laughs> you, say the name on three. Ready? One, two, three. Carmichael, Carmichael Dave. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Just a guess. Maybe guy, not. Dave sounds like the guy that'd be like, Isaiah Cousins, 30 game, not a bold prediction. <laughs> Jaeger, coach of the year, king, seven seed, yeah. golden one center, I'll, the Arco curse is gone. <laughs> hey, Dave, does this look familiar to you? I think I found something that might have been yours. Hey. On the YouTube chat, Russell says the Kings picked up so many big men this offseason, clearly giving themselves options and have a goal for the backup role in mind. Uh, some of this, I think, was they wouldn't have picked up some of the guys they did if they knew that they were going to be able to get JaVale McGee. Maybe. Yeah, I think that's a thing because remember, JaVale McGee had to be released by Dallas when they signed Noel, yeah. uh, Kata, all of the stuff. He was still under contract. I think JaVale kind of fell into their lap, so to speak. Yeah, I don't know that. I mean, obviously somebody comes to camp, they wow you, whoa, uh, they can change minds. But I don't think Kata is really part of the plans for the big no, club this year. I think maybe they're kind of hoping he takes that third two-way deal and spends another year in Stockton and then, hey, let's try this again next year because just watching him in Summer League, it still seemed he like... He got hurt. So he got hurt, too. but also watching him in California Classic and in, you know, the um, Vegas Summer League, it still looked like the game was moving a little too fast for him. And I know he was second in G League MVP voting, but that doesn't matter, right? Like, we don't take that seriously. It's nice, but it's not something that necessarily means you're going to be... It doesn't in the translate NBA. to you're going to be on the big roster next year, in my opinion. I mean... If you go through the G League and then uh, once upon a time it's called the D League, go through the list of MVPs and see how many of those guys have been even good role players in the NBA. Not- By the way, that was a good decision, wasn't it, to change the name of the D League to the G League? I like that a lot, the Gatorade League. Yeah, <laughs> D League. Whoa. Uh, Develop coming up next. mental, Whitey. What mm-hmm. were you thinking? Yeah, we, we've been, for the most part, getting along here. I... I, I hate to do this, but it's time for the Fact of Fantasy Showdown. Oh. Yeah. Well. You, you, you may think you're ready, but are you ready? I don't know if you saw during the break. I took the gloves off. <laughs> I didn't even know you brought gloves in. Yeah, I did. Wow. All right. Well, coming up, the 49er with the most uh, pressure on him this season. We'll find out who that is as Jay and I go head-to-head. Jay, I'm sorry. Uh, Jay Marsh, yeah. That's me. Uh, in the Fact of Fantasy Showdown, next right here, Stacktown Sports. your desk, on your phone, in the car. Whitey and Watkins. On Satown Sports. Hidden for a showdown. Whitey Gleason and Jay Mars in for Chris Watkins today. Chris will be along. Chris is on with who today now? This Chris afternoon? is on with Gary Sharp. Gary Sharp and Chris Watkins at 2 o'clock. Uh, it's time for the Factor Fantasy yeah. Showdown. All rise for the judge for today. Uh, the Honorable Judge Verlaud, who was uh, not present on Friday, and Judge Nicole did an outstanding job in your absence, sir. Judge Nicole? Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard about Judge Nicole. You may be seated, gentlemen. Thank you. I think Simone would have done a better job. <laughs> anyway. All right. So who- Am I allowed I, to wear this in court today, Your Honor? Did uh, you win last week? I did, sir. I'll allow it. Yeah, okay. Right, thank you. <laughs> so since you were the winner, we'll start with you. Okay. The NFL quarterback with the most pressure on him this season is Mac Jones. Fact or fantasy? That is fantasy, Your Honor. The quarterback with the most pressure on him this season is Dak Prescott. 
uh, if the Cowboys don't win this year, if they don't win a Super Bowl, uh, it may be time for Jerry Jones to move on from Dak Prescott. And it's pretty clear that Jerry Jones is intending to put at least some measure of pressure on Dak Prescott by bringing in Trey Lance. I don't know if Dak's feeling that pressure, but that's the intent. Dak has had a long run with the Cowboys. Uh, It's time for him to win something. And if he doesn't this year... Uh, the Cowboys may move on, so he's the one dealing with the most pressure in the NFL this season. The NFL QB with the most pressure on him this season is Mac Jones. That is fantasy. fantasy. Can I just say, by the way, excellent the way you picked that right up. And Thank you. That, that's great. Thank you. But yes. it, but the thing is, Whitey, it's not Dakota. It's a guy by the name of Jordan Love in Green Bay. Now, you may be familiar with Jordan Love. This is the guy that the Packers took in the first round, what, three years ago? and sat behind Aaron Rodgers. Meanwhile, they could have used that pick on a player or packaged it to get Aaron Rodgers more help, a guy that was in MVP caliber mode for those two seasons that Jordan Love was behind him, those first two seasons, obviously not last year. But instead, they decided to get Jordan Love. They sit him for three years. Now, he's going into year four in his contract. Obviously, if you're taking this guy in the first round and you're sitting him for three years behind Aaron Rodgers, you're going to sign him to an extension because you believe in him, right? No, not only do they not sign him to an extension, they don't even exercise his fifth-year option. So Jordan Love goes into this season, essentially his rookie season. I think he's played a total of 10 games, started one, and he has to be great or he doesn't have a contract next year and he's an NFL free agent and likely nobody's going to pick him up as a starter. If Jordan Love doesn't produce this season, he's basically screwed. His NFL career is likely done. He might be a backup or a third string guy somewhere else. Jordan Love has to perform this year or else he has the most pressure of any quarterback in the NFL. I don't want to say that answer was long, but... Uh, Sharp and Watkins are next on Sector. Wow. That was uncalled for in this courtroom, Whitey. But you do get the point. <laughs> what? Mars, I think you gave like a pretty good argument on why there is absolutely no pressure on love right now. No one's expecting him to do anything. And then, uh, of course, really? if, you're the, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you're always expected to win, even though they have a history of not winning. So point goes to you. I was just kidding. Uh-huh. I wasn't. All right, you're up, Jay Myers. Jay, the 49er with the most pressure on him this season is Brock Purdy. That's fact a... or fantasy? Oh, that's a fact. That's the fact, Jack. There's nobody on this team that has had a microscope on them quite like Brock Purdy. Everybody is looking at him to fail. You, we we talked about Peter King. Earlier this uh, this show, 13-4, and four, but they'll lose to the Cowboys. If that were going to be a thing, guess what the narrative is going to be? Huh? Brock Purdy, not the guy to get them to the promised land. Uh, what was it? He's ranked 32nd by the Athletic. They're the only ones saying, oh, there's no pressure on this kid. He sucks. But everybody else is going to look at it if the 49er season is a failure, which, by the way, a failure means not winning the Super Bowl. All eyes will be on Brock Purdy. It won't matter what happens on the defensive side of the ball. It won't matter what happens on injuries. He will be blamed for everything. It's a fact. Most pressure. 49er with the most pressure on him this season is Brock Purdy. That is a fantasy. Every quarterback on every good team faces some pressure, but the fact that Kyle Shanahan has already declared Brock Purdy is the real deal means that as far as Kyle is concerned, there isn't pressure on Brock Purdy. Brock's under a microscope. That's nothing compared to the proctoscope that the 49ers will have 
in place for Colton McKivitz, the right tackle. He's the one facing the most pressure. Not only pressure in terms of you better do your job uh, or we'll move on from you, but pressure from opposing pass rushers because he'll be seen as the weak link with Trent Williams on the other side. So Colton McKivitz will face pass rush pressure. He will face pressure from the team and from fans who, who are already uh, wondering about this 49er offensive line and its depth. Colton McKivitz is the 49er under the most pressure this year. We'll see how he responds. Woody, that's very good. I didn't even consider that because guards really aren't sexy to talk about on the air. So, Jay, you get the point. Thank you. Of course it's on Brock Purdy. Every loss is going to be on Brock Purdy this season. Colt McKivitz is a tackle, not a guard, if it pleases. It'll I'm be sorry, Brock- what? Uh-huh. It'll be Brock Purdy's fault when Colt McKivitz lets someone get through on the edge to tackle exactly. Brock Purdy. <laughs> so we're all, tied up, eh? Yay. All tied up. Uh, uh, yes, tied up. Uh, Whitey. Yes, sir. The Nick Bosa holdout is now officially a problem for the 49ers. Fact or fantasy? That is a fact. That's the fact, Jack. I hear before the court admit that I have been guilty. Guilty of buying in to the narrative that Kyle Shanahan is putting forth that we'll take care of it. Uh, we're going to, you know what? Nick's going to be here. It's not a problem. Well, it's a problem now because you are in very real danger of having Nick Bosa miss the first game of the season. The 49ers are expected to be, by people like Peter King, the best team in the NFC this year. But every game vitally important. Last year, a slow start cost the 49ers home field in the playoffs, one of the reasons they were eliminated. Nick Bosa may not be there for the first game. Who knows? If he misses the first game, will he miss more games? If he does, the 49ers are in big trouble because he is the single most important player on the team. The fact that we're days away from the opener and he still is not in camp, or excuse me, is not with the team, that is officially a big problem for the Niners. The Nick Bosa holdout is now officially a problem for the 49ers. That is a fantasy. fantasy. Here's the thing with this holdout. The 49ers have zero leverage. The 49ers at some point are going to have to cave this week. What does that mean? Oh, well, uh, he hasn't been in camp. He can't play in week one, can he? No, he can. Let's remember, uh, I believe T.J. Watt in Pittsburgh signed his contract with the Steelers. I think it was two games before their 2021 season opener had held out in camp, right? And they actually played him after signing just two days. Two days. And we think Nick Bosa's a better player. This is what T.J. Watt did. He played in 81% of the team's snaps in week one, registering two sacks and five quarterback hits in the Steelers' 23-16 victory. It doesn't matter. Once he signs this week, he will be in the starting lineup, and he will do very much like T.J. Watt did. This is a guy that stays in notoriously good shape in the offseason. Nobody should panic. He'll sign this week, and he'll be great in week one. That is a very good point, but I, I don't know how to— judge it seeing as you're judging it based off of what the future is going to happen and we don't know if he's going to sign this week so why do you, i think you're right i think this is a problem for the 49ers so you get the point but this is strange we have plenty of time left Uh-oh. for a rare fourth question yeah wow, i had it so okay. the question for you whitey and yes. remember that the fourth question is always worth four points of course the, I'm not an idiot. I know that. The Giants need to be all in next year on free agent Cody Bellinger. Fact or fantasy? That is a fantasy. And I'll tell you why. 2019 Cody Bellinger was, as a Dodger fan in the room knows all too well, 
He was phenomenal. 47 home runs. He was incredible. Uh, He hit 41 homers combined over the next three seasons as he really fell out. And he injured his shoulder, like high-fiving someone in the World Series. Whatever. It's so Dodger-like. But here's the thing. Having a great year this year for the Cubs, but he's doing that in a free agent year where he's going to be a free agent, so he's trying to prove his value. And you can't assume he's going to be worth the money. He's been so bad the three previous years that it's too risky to assume this is the real Cody Bellinger. So the Giants need to be all in on Otani, all in on Bellinger. No, that would not be prudent. It's a fact, sir, that the Giants... Need to be all in on Cody Bellinger. Here is why. You've had an outfield that has suffered and struggled through injuries this year. Yes, you bring up Cody Bellinger and the shoulder that had plagued him for a couple years. He's clearly gotten over it. You see it with the numbers that he's put up in Chicago this year. It's a guy that is back into all-star form. 23 home runs, 84 RBIs. He's hitting 320. Oh, and by the way, he's a Golden Glove outfielder. This is definitely someone that they need to be all in on because this team just needs talent. This team lacks so much talent that if there is a guy out there that hits over 300, hits for power, and oh, by the way, is a Gold Glover, there's no way you can't be all in especially because the Giants have been bridesmaids on literally any free agent that actually has a pulse. Yes, all in, they have to sign Cody Bellinger. That is a fantastic point, Jay. Unfortunately, as we all know, this courtroom is an anti-Dodger courtroom. So why do you get the point and the win in a complete blowout? Wow. Six to one. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I am appealing and to, we're taking this all the way up to the Sacktown Sports Supreme Court. Oh, I think wow. that's her. I, <laughs> I mean, like, she's, I think no. Simone's a Supreme Court. No, she's she was, not. She seemed to enjoy that quite a bit when uh, Nicole uh, when the is the Supreme Court. <laughs> no, Simone's the Supreme Court around here. Uh, thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Jay. I thought you uh, battled quite well. Yeah. You did. It's easy to win well when played. you're in a biased courtroom, isn't it? <laughs> Well played indeed. Coming up next here, you alluded to it. Are there really 31 quarterbacks better than Brock Purdy? Tell you who thinks that's the case. I'll try to figure out why next year, why didn't Watkins, Jay Mars in today on Sacktown Sports.